Good morning. Good morning. We have some announcements. <clears throat> Wednesday, we're feeding the homeless. If you want to go. <clears throat> the next women's study is this Thursday, May 4th. Oh, no, that's next week. Not this week, but next week, May 4th, 6 p.m. The next men's study is next Saturday, May 6th at 8 a.m. The men want to meet earlier. Next youth night, April 27th, 6 p.m. Yeah. The men's retreat is this weekend. Yes. And this weekend coming up, obviously this weekend's over, but the weekend coming up is the men's retreat. The Bible study on May 6th. And then the men's retreat is April 28th, 29th, 30th. Yeah. Marriage retreat, October. Hurry up and sign up. I don't think there's many spots left. We are signed up. Then, if you give me your email, I'll send you an email once a week so you know what's going on. Or you can check it out on the website thechurchne.org so with that let's pray dear father I just thank you for this day and thank you for this time to come together to learn more about who you are about your will your ways um, and how you work in each one of our lives I ask that you would meet each one of us right where we're at you know our thoughts you know our desires you know what we're going through you know our fears and our frustrations that you would lead us and guide us, that you would navigate us through them, that you would draw us closer to you, that you would lead us away from the things that tempt us, the things that lead us away from you, that you would protect us from that, that you would watch over um, each person here, each person listening, that you would guide them, protect them, strengthen and encourage them, that your words would be spoken here this morning that you would speak to each of our hearts, not my words, but yours. That you would meet each one of us right where we're at. It's in Jesus' name I pray. Amen. Amen. So we are continuing on in Hebrews chapter 2. We'll be in Hebrews chapter 2, starting in verse 5. But we're going to read it in the New King James translation for these first few verses and the reason for that is the New Living Translation is a little bit different um, and I think it's fairly explainable I don't think you need a degree in theology to understand this but in the New Living Translation verse 5 says and furthermore it is not angels who will control this future world we are talking about. For in one place the scriptures say, What are mere mortals that you should think about them? Or a son of man that you should care for him? Yet you made them only a little lower than the angels and crowned them with glory and honor. You gave them authority over all things. Now when it says all things, it means nothing left out. But we have not yet seen all things under the authority, under their authority, which is where we get off a little bit. Because we have seen all things placed under human authority. Um, and so the reason we're going to read out the New King James is because the New King James relates it to Jesus. That in this area of scripture, they're not, the writer is not talking about humans, not their but his or him, meaning Jesus. So, and it's all based off of that verse right there. That we have not yet seen all things placed under their authority, and we'll go through where the Bible talks about that, because God did place all things under human authority <clears throat> when he created the heavens and the earth, when he created Adam and Eve. All things were placed under their authority, so we did get to see that. But what we haven't seen yet 
is all things placed under Jesus' authority, where he's going to rule and reign here on this earth. And what that's speaking of is his second coming, his ruling and reigning during his millennial kingdom, right? Where all things are placed under his authority. So, is that what it says in your notes there? So, that is why we're going to read out the New King James. Again, not a salvation issue, but I just think the translators didn't quite get it right here. And I think it's important that we read it as close to the original text as we possibly can. And that's what the New King James is doing through this section. So, the way the New King James reads, starting in verse 5, for he has not put the world to come, of which we speak in subjection to the angels. So he didn't give the angels authority over this world, right? Or the world to come. It's not the angels that are ruling over the world to come. Who's going to rule over the world to come? Jesus, right? Isn't that like the answer to pretty much every question we ask in church? Jesus What's the answer to all of our questions, all of our problems? Jesus. So, the world to come will be ruled by Jesus. But one testified in a certain place, saying, What is a man that you are mindful of him? Or the son of man that you take care of him? You have made him a little lower than the angels. You have crowned him with glory and honor and set him over the works of your hands. You have put all things in subjection under his feet, for in that he put all subjection under him. He left nothing that is not to be under him, but now we do not yet see all things put under him. But we see Jesus, who was made a little lower than the angels, for the suffering of death, crowned with glory and honor, that he, by the grace of God, might taste death for everyone. Right? So that area of scripture is speaking to Jesus. That One day all things will be put under his control, under his authority. And where the author of Hebrews says, for, you know, where it was written, he's referring back to Psalm chapter 8, verses 4 through 6. So remember, the whole book of Hebrews points towards Jesus, right? And why does it point towards Jesus? Because he's our everything. He's the provider of our everything, right? He's the provider for us, for all of our needs, right? Our necessities, our food, our clothing, our finances. But he's also the provider of all of our attributes, right? Our wisdom comes from God. Our strength of character comes from God, meaning do we make the right decisions when everyone's looking? Where does that come from? That comes from God. Our courage our honor, our faithfulness, everything that we have, all the good quality character attributes that we have, they all come from God. They all come from Jesus. So he's the center of our faith. And that's what this book is going to go through. The book of Hebrews is going to point to all the things that Jesus is. And why is it that he should be at the center of our attention? Why does the whole Bible point towards him? So Psalm chapter 8 Verses 4 through 6. So this psalm was written by this psalm was written by David. What is man that you are mindful of him, and that the son of man that you visit him? For you have made him a little lower than the angels, and you have crowned him with glory and honor. You have made him to have dominion over the works of your hands. You have put all things under his feet. So what is that? It's a foretelling. God, long before Jesus was ever born on this earth, this was written. This was written 
knowing what would happen, right? Did God knew what the plan was? Did God know that men, man would sin, that sin would enter into this world? And did God already have a plan? Yep. And right from the beginning, what was his plan? That he would send his son here to this earth to die for us, for, take our place. That was always his plan, right? And he tells us that all throughout the Old Testament, pointing, the Old Testament is pointing towards Jesus. And here's another spot. We're going to read another section of Psalms today that absolutely points towards Jesus. So, continuing on here in Psalm 8, verses, verse 7. All sheep, so, where we left off in verse 6 was, You have made him to have dominion over the works of your hands. You have put all things under his feet. All the sheep and oxen, even the beasts of the field, the birds of the air, and the fish of the sea that pass through the paths of the sea. O Lord, our Lord, how excellent is your name in all the earth. So, this psalm, this section of psalm, is talking about the Messiah to come. Talking about Jesus. And then when he comes, in his second coming, that he'll rule over the earth, right? And that all things will be under his dominion. But, were all things already placed under someone's dominion before? And the answer to that is yes. We find that in Genesis chapter 1, verse 26. So we haven't seen where all things have been placed under Jesus' control, right? That's still yet to come. This is a foretelling, a prophecy, a prophetic word, a telling of a future event that you can count on, that you know that God is going to make happen. So Genesis chapter 1, verse 26. Then God said, Let us make man in our image according to our likeness. Let them have dominion over the fish of the sea, over the birds of the air, over the cattle, over the earth, and over every creepy thing that creeps on the earth. So God created man in his own image, in the image of God, he created him, male and female, he created them. <coughs> then God blessed them, and God said to them, Be fruitful and multiply, fill the earth and subdue it. You have dominion over the fish of the sea, over the birds of the air, over every living thing that moves on the earth. And God said, See, I have given you every herb that yields seed, which is on the face of the earth and every tree whose fruit yields seed to you that shall be for food. Also to every beast of the earth, to every bird of the air and to everything that creeps on the earth in which there is life. I have given every green herb for food and it was so. Then God saw everything that he had made, and indeed it was very good. So the evening and the morning were the sixth day. So this is the sixth day of creation, right? Where he's created all these things. He's created humans. And what has he done? He's given them dominion over all of creation, right? Over all the birds in the sky, all the fish in the sea, all the animals on the ground, all the creepy crawly things. All the bugs, the spiders, he's given them dominion over them. He's given them all the herbs, all the fruit, all the everything that grows for food, right? All the green herbs for food. So he's given that all control to man, right? Man, Adam and Eve were to rule over and subdue to have dominion over all of creation. All of creation here on earth, I should say. Right, but we haven't seen yet where Jesus has been had all control. Now, there's some people that teach that that God is all controlling, and I would say to you, could God be all controlling? Absolutely. Does God control everything? No, He chooses not to, and you see that here. 
We see that this is a future telling that Jesus will someday have dominion over everything, but he is not having dominion over everything now. That he gave that option to man, and what did man do with it? Man chose to sin. Adam and Eve brought sin into the world, and if they hadn't have sinned, we would have, right? We would have screwed it up for everyone, right? If we lived a perfect life? No. Not even close, huh? You know, so if they hadn't screwed it up, we would have. So they were given dominion over all the earth, and they chose not to, right? That was a choice. They chose not to obey God, and they brought sin into this world. And when they brought sin into this world, that title deed, that dominion over the earth was given to Satan, right? We read that he's the, the prince of this world. He's the God, little g, of this world. That's what the Bible calls him. That he's ruling over this world. And that that is only for a time. Jesus is coming back again to rule and reign and have dominion over everything. But why would Jesus not have control over everything now? Can you think of a reason why? Can you think of a reason why? Well, because if, if Jesus had control over everything now, what's that? Do you have a reason why? Absolutely. You're absolutely correct. So, what are we, what's our number one commandment? What was the thing he said was the most important. Love the Lord your God with all your heart, all your soul, all your mind, and all your strength. And love your neighbor as yourself, right? So the most important commandments are to love. And what is love? Love is not some feeling that I have, because my feelings often change, but love is a choice, right? How did Jesus give us an example of love? He was... Yep, he was willing to sacrifice himself, to allow himself to be sacrificed for us, for our sins, right? Is that the, the ultimate example of love, laying down one's life for his friends? And that's exactly what he did for us. So he lived a life to serve us. So that love is a choice. He chose to do that. No one made him go to the cross. He could have walked away from it at any point, right? He could have called down the angels and they would have rescued him at any point. He willingly chose to go to the cross, right? So that's what love is. So if God controls everything and we're forced to love him or he makes us love him or he makes us choose to receive him, is that really love? No, because love is a choice. So why does God not have, why is he not given Jesus dominion over all of the earth now? Because right now we're in the time where we can choose. We can choose to love him or we can choose to reject him. And either way, God will give us the desires of our hearts, right? If we choose to love him, we'll have eternity with him in paradise with him for all of time. But if we choose to reject him, what happens? I'll say, okay, then for all of eternity, you can live a life separate from me, right? And where is that? That's in hell, separate from God for all of eternity. So love is a choice, and God's not making us love him, right? We can choose to love him. We can choose to serve him. Our relationship with God is not transactional. God, I've done all these things, checked all these boxes. You owe me this. You owe me a peaceful life. You owe me a good life. You owe me nothing, right? Why do I do the things I do for God? Why do I serve him? Why do I want to pray? Why do I want to read my Bible? Why do I want to spend time with him or encouraging others to spend time with him? Because I want to go to heaven? Eee, that's a good thought. But then that becomes transactional. God, I did all these things. You owe me eternity. You owe me heaven. How about I do these things? God, I'm going to spend time praying. I want to spend time in your word. To please God? Mm, that almost, that's still transactional though. I did all these things, God. You should be happy with me. You should be happy, right? But that's still transactional. How about I do all these things because I want to know more about you? 
I want to learn more about you. Not because I have to do any of these things, but because I choose to. Can I be a Christian and not spend time in prayer with God or in his word or encouraging others in the things that God does? Yes, you can. It has some harsh words for you. You're going to have very little rewards in heaven. And some people think, well, not all about rewards. Well, if you think of it like retirement, we have you save up for retirement, you have a retirement plan here, and then you retire, right? And that's what you're going to live off of. Well, this is like your retirement plan for all of eternity. What rewards or what investments or what things are you doing that God's called you to do, that you're following through with in faith, that you're going to store up those treasures in heaven for all of eternity? Do you want to have a retirement plan that has nothing in it? You have nothing to live for? You're just a little cardboard box here on earth? Well, there's some to do, but that's not what you should aspire to. You should aspire to, I want to serve God, and yes, he will reward me, but it's not transactional. I want to spend time reading God's word. I want to spend time in relationship with God because I want him to lead my life because life is not easy. Life is difficult. Life is a struggle. But if I'm letting him lead and guide through, then I can trust that I'm where he wants me to be and that he will navigate me through this. While we don't have that, not everyone in this world has God controlling them. When you are a believer, God does have control over your life, not making you do anything But the things that does happen in your life, the events that take place in your life, God is watching over and God is working all of those events, even when they're not good, for good. Right? We have that promise. Does that make sense? So, so we have not seen where God has placed everything under Jesus' control yet. But that promise is coming soon. So, we'll continue. We'll go back to Hebrews Chapter 2, verse 10. We'll continue on with our study. We'll go back to the, the New Living Translation from here on out through the, the rest of the chapter of Hebrews. The New Living Translation lines up with the original text. Um, so only when it doesn't line up with the original text, the original Greek that it was written in, do we go to a different translation like New King James um, because we want to teach as close to the original text as possible because it's important right? God's the one that creates these languages and how they relate. So we want to pay attention to the specifics of what he's saying. And it's very important to see that God did place everything under the control of man and that man more or less screwed that up. But he promises that he will place everything under the control of Jesus, who is good and perfect. And Jesus will not screw that up. So Hebrews chapter 2 Verse 10, here in the New Living Translation. God, for whom and through whom everything was made, chose to bring many children into glory. It was only right he should make Jesus, through his suffering, a perfect leader, fit to bring them into, into their salvation. So now Jesus and the ones he makes holy have the same Father. That is why Jesus is not ashamed to call them his brothers and sisters. For he said to God, I will proclaim your name to my brothers and sisters. I will praise you among the assembled people. He also said, I will put my trust in him that is I and the children God has given. Right. So when we become believers in God, believers in Jesus, we become children of God. And while the Son, the Son of God, Jesus, is already one of his children, he calls us his brothers and sisters, right? Does that make sense? If he's God's son and we become God's sons and daughters, then we are brothers and sisters. The Bible says that we share an inheritance with Jesus. So you think of an inheritance and how much of an inheritance should Jesus have? Well, he should have everything. And that's what he will have, dominion over all. He'll rule over all, justly, fairly, appropriately, 
perfectly. He'll rule over all. That's his inheritance. And what inheritance do we get to share? We get to share in that inheritance. We've done nothing to earn it, nothing to deserve it. Jesus has done all the work, but yet we get to share in that inheritance, right? But he is our perfect leader. So how are we to lead? Well, how did Jesus lead? He led by example, right? So how should we lead others? How should we lead those around us? How should we lead our families? As a mom or a dad, how should we lead? We should be leading by example. And that what we do, how we act, is going to influence the next generation, right? It's going to influence our kids, how they act. Or as grandparents, how we act as grandparents is going to influence how our grandkids act, right? So we're to lead by example. Jesus led perfectly by example. So we're going to go and take a look um, here at Psalms chapter 22. So we're looking here a little deeper into Hebrews verse 12. I will proclaim your name among my brothers and sisters. I will praise you among your assembled people. So that verse right there is found in Psalm chapter 22. Remember, Psalm 22 was written long before Jesus ever lived on this earth, right? And this psalm was written by David. So a lot of David's psalms are prophetic psalms. So Jesus, his human lineage, comes through the line of David. King David is in Jesus' family tree. Did you know that? Yeah. So... A lot of David's psalms may have had relevance at the time to an event he was going through or something that was going on with the nation at that time. But also, a lot of them are a foretelling of the Messiah to come. And this Psalm 22 is absolutely that. And it's pretty amazing. So we're going to read through all of Psalm 22 here. Starting in verse 1. So this is a psalm written by David. Here in verse 1, my God, my God, why have you abandoned me? Does that sound familiar at all? That's what Jesus said on the cross right before he died. My God, my God, why have you abandoned me? Is that pretty amazing? Does that set the tone right there? That Obviously, this is a prophetic psalm speaking of the Messiah to come. Absolutely. Why are you so far away from me when I groan for help? Now, could this be an event that's taking place in David's life where he feels separated from God, that the enemy has come and deceived him, that the enemy has um, given him these thoughts, these ideas that aren't true, that are separating him from God, that are bringing David to isolation? Oftentimes, David would suffer with this idea of isolation, right? When did he get in the most trouble into his life, the most sin that came into his life that we ever read about is when he chose to isolate himself when all the kings went to war with their men, he chose to stay behind by himself, right? He's in isolation where the enemy wants to give you this idea or this feeling or this notion that you should do this or that, but it's a mislead. It's a misguiding. So the enemy, I would say, misguided David or gave him this feeling or notion that he shouldn't go to war that year. He should stay behind and the enemy has him isolated now. And oftentimes you can tell when you go through this time of isolation or this period where you want to be by yourself, so that's usually from the enemy. And what happened in David's life? Well, in David's life during that time where he's been misguided by his feelings or his thoughts or whatever it is that made him stay behind when he should have gone to war with the rest of the men, that's his job. That's where he should have been leading, right? By example, he chose to stay behind in isolation. And what happened? great, great sin entered into his life. He chose to have an affair with Bathsheba. He got her pregnant. Then he chose to murder her husband, right? He chose to do some awful things and he was isolated during that time in his life. So, so I, I would say to you that David is writing this down and in God's infinite wisdom with the leading and guiding of the Holy Spirit, God is writing this as a foretelling, some telling about the Messiah to come, but also allowing David to write through what he's going through currently, right? So it has a dual meaning, if you could say that. So, continuing on. Psalm 22, verse 2. 
Every day I call to you, my God, but you don't answer. Every night you hear my voice, but I find no relief. Yet you are holy, enthroned on the praises of Israel. Our ancestors trusted in you, and you rescued them. They cried out to you and were saved. They trusted in you and were never disgraced. So here he feels like he's crying out to God, and he feels like God is not answering him, right? But he's reminding himself he is still God. He's the God that rescued his nation, rescued his ancestors, right? He's the God that has, um, saves. He's the God that will never be disgraced. So he's reminding himself of all the things that God does. Do you ever have that time in your life where you're praying and you feel like God's not answering, right? Like he's ignoring you or maybe he's too busy for you. Have you ever had that happen? Do you think that's what's actually going on? No, that's not what's going on. God's not ignoring you. He's not too busy for you. I would say to you what's going on is God is allowing you to either make a choice, right? Because he's not controlling us, right? He doesn't control us. He allows us to choose. But he's allowing you to make a choice. Do you want to go down this path where the enemy is saying God has forgotten about you and abandoned you? Because that's the opposite of what the Bible says. And that's what the enemy does. The enemy wants to distract us and lead us away from what God's word says. And say, oh, he's forgotten about you. He doesn't care about you. You're all alone. Or God's allowing you to make the choice, no, God, this is what your word says. And I believe you at your word. You're the God that rescued our nation before. You're the God that rescued our ancestors. You're the God that will never be disgraced. You're the God that will never abandon me. So during those times where we feel like God's being silent, God's allowing us to make a choice. And we're either going to walk away from him or we're going to strengthen our faith and trust in him. Even when we don't understand it, even when we can't see it, even when we don't feel that we've heard from him, right? And that's what goes on here. So that's what David does. He's reminding himself of who God is. Then he goes on here in verse 6. But I am a worm, not a man. I am scorned and despised all day long. Everyone who sees me mocks me. They sneer and shake their heads saying, Is this the one who relies on the Lord? Then let the Lord save him. If the Lord loves him so much, let the Lord rescue him. Yet you brought me safely from my mother's womb and led me to trust you at my mother's breast. I was thrust into your arms at my birth. You have been my God from the moment I was born. So he's saying, look at me. I'm really nothing. Everyone despises me. Everyone makes fun of me. Oh, where's your God now, right? You have this trouble that's going on in your life. You're going through these hard times. You know, where's your God at? Why is he not rescuing you? Why is he not paying attention to you? And again, that's the enemy trying to deceive you. <clears throat> we have this idea that, well, if we go through something hard in life, that maybe we're not walking with God correctly. Maybe we haven't figured out all the steps right or done this right. But God does allow, he allows these times in our life for, again, us to make a choice. Are we going to choose to believe the enemy's lies that, you know, God's abandoned us or not, not loving us or not walking with us or are we going to choose to believe what God's word says and that God does love us he doesn't abandon us that he's there for us so continue on here in verse 11 do not say do not stay far away from me for trouble is near and no one else can help me right there is no one that can help us other than God and who should we go to when we have trouble God and God alone should we go to our friends for advice? No, we should go to God first, right? Can our friends be there to comfort us in a godly way? Absolutely. But the first place we should go is to God. My enemies surround me like a herd of bulls. Fierce bulls of Bashan have, he have hemmed me in. Like lions, they open their jaws against me, roaring and tearing into their prey. Into their prey. My life is poured out like water, and all my bones are out of joint. My heart is like wax melting within me. My strength has dried up like a sun-baked clay. My tongue sticks to the roof of my mouth. You have laid me in dust and left me for dead. Right? My enemies surround me like a pack of dogs. An evil gang closes in on me. They have pierced my hands and feet. 
What does that sound like? They've pierced my hands and feet. Does it sound like something Jesus has gone through where everyone has turned against him, right? His enemies are surrounding him. So when we feel this way, when we feel these things that God is, we're going through these tough times or we feel like God's not answering our prayers or, or he's not listening to us or he doesn't care about us for being misled by the enemy. Do you see that Jesus has already gone through that? That the struggles that we go through, Jesus went through himself. So when you feel that no one can relate to you, no one knows what I'm going through, there is one person who absolutely knows what you're going through. And his name is Jesus. Because he's been through it, right? He's been through all of that. So he understands how you feel. He understands what you're going through. He understands how difficult it is. And so when we need help through this, who can we reach out to? Jesus. He's the one that can guide us through this, right? He's the one that can help us. He's the one that can navigate our lives. So, they've pierced his hands and his feet. <laughs> to speak of that hundreds of years before Jesus was ever born is amazing. It's nothing short of God's word being spoken here. God knows the beginning from the end. So, continuing on here in verse 17. I can count all my bones. My enemies stare at me and gloat. They divide my garments among themselves and throw dice for my clothing. What happened when Jesus died on the cross? The Roman soldiers divided his garments among themselves. They threw dice for them. Is that amazing? Right here, you get to read that long before Jesus was ever born. Oh Lord, don't stay far away from me. You are my strength. Come quickly to my aid. Save me from the sword. Spare my precious life from these dogs. Snatch me from the lion's jaw and from the thorns of these wild oxen. So he's saying, come quickly and rescue me, right? Did God come quickly and rescue Jesus? No, God allowed that to happen. So does that seem like God abandoned Jesus during that time? That the father abandoned the son during that time that he was crucified and died? Is that the way it sounds? No, God never abandoned him. God never left him. There was a moment where Jesus took on the sins of the earth, and that's when he cried out, My God, my God, why have you forsaken me? And many people believe that that's the moment where Jesus took on all the sins of the earth. And in that moment, for that brief period of time, for that moment that the son was separated from the father, because God cannot be a part of sin. And I think I would agree with that. But I would say that was only for a moment. God never abandoned him after. Before that, God never abandoned him after that. For that moment that he took on the sins of the world, that that separated him from God, I'd say possibly. But there was a quick reconciliation right after that. And just because God didn't save Jesus' life, does that mean that God abandoned him? No. That was God's will being done. And was that will good for, for all of us? Absolutely. Because of his death on the cross, we can be set free from sin and death. So, just because God allows these things to happen in our lives, doesn't mean he's abandoned us. But it does mean that his will is being done, right? And that's what we should pray. God, your will be done. Before Jesus went to the cross, what did he say? God, if there's any way you can take this cup of suffering away from me, please do it. If there's any other way for these people to be saved, please let it be. But again, not my will be done, your will be done. That should always be our prayer. So, continuing on here in verse 22. I will proclaim your name to my brothers and sisters. I will praise you among your assembled people. Praise the Lord, all you who fear him. Honor him, all you descendants of Jacob. Show him reverence, all you descendants of Israel. For he has not ignored or belittled your suffering of the needy. He has not turned his back on them, but has listened to their cries for help. So has God heard all of their cries? Has he abandoned them? Has he ignored them? Has he belittled them? No, not at all. I will praise you in the great assembly. I will fulfill my vows in the presence of those who worship you. The poor will eat and be satisfied. All who seek the Lord will praise him. Their hearts will rejoice with everlasting joy. 
the whole earth will acknowledge the Lord and return to him. All the families of the nations will bow down before him, for royal power belongs to the Lord. He rules all the nations. Has that happened yet where the Lord has ruled all the nations? No, not yet. But will it happen? It will. Just like all the things that when David wrote this hadn't happened yet, Jesus hadn't come down, they hadn't pierced his hands and his feet yet, they hadn't divided his garments by throwing dice, but it did happen, this will happen too, right? Where God will rule over all the nations. He, Jesus, will rule all the nations. Let the rich of the earth feast and worship. Bow before him, all who are mortal, all whose lives will end as dust. So when we die, what happens to us? We return back to dust. God created us from the dust, right? That's how he created Adam. And then how did he create Eve? From Adam. So she was created from dust. And every person after that all started with dust. And where do we return? We return back to the dust, right? Our bodies decompose. Have you learned about that in school yet? Yes. Yeah. So our children will serve him. Future generations will hear about the wonders of the Lord. His righteous acts will be told to those not yet born. They will hear about everything he has done. So what can we do? We've gone through this trial. We realize that God has not left us, that he will rule and reign, that what he says will happen, that his word is true. And when we choose to believe in that and trust in that, we can pass that down to the next generation and the generation after that, and the generation that's not even born yet, right? Is that what we do? Is that how we're to live our lives? We're to live our lives leading by example, just like Jesus led by example, right? So that's our choice. So it's our choice. We are going to go through difficult times. We are going to go through times where we feel alone or abandoned, but Jesus always knows how we're, how we're feeling because he's been through it himself, right? And that we're never alone, we're never abandoned, that we shouldn't take God's maybe silence in our prayer life or, or silence in action in our lives to think that he's left us or abandoned us. What he's doing is he's allowing our faith to grow. And we can choose to trust that he is going to lead us and guide us through this, or we can choose that we need to handle this on our own. I need to take action because I'm not trusting that God will, right? And that's what he's allowing us to do. So that oftentimes that silence or that quietness in our lives is the time for us to choose to trust in him or to trust in our own strength and our own power. And when we trust in our own strength and our own power, it always ends disastrous for us. It makes the situations worse. So, we will take a look at Isaiah chapter 8, verse 16. And this is in reference to Hebrews chapter 2, verse 13. That's where this comes from. So, preserve the teaching of God and trust his instructions to those who follow me. I will wait for the Lord who has turned away from the descendants of Jacob. I will put my hope in him and the children the Lord has given me serve as signs and warnings to Israel from the Lord of heaven's armies who dwell in his temple on Mount Zion. Someone may say to you, let's ask the mediums, those who consult the spirits of the dead with their whisperings and mutterings they will tell us what to do. But shouldn't people ask for guidance? Shouldn't the living seek the guidance from the dead? Does that sound familiar? Did we just talk about this? Did you have a question on this? And so, if I'm understanding this right, we just continued through our study on Hebrews, right? And Hebrews chapter 13 is referencing this section of Isaiah. So God led us to the answer to your question, right? Why should we not consult spirits or mediums? Because shouldn't we seek guidance from God above all else? Is that the answer? Do you see how amazing that is? So you had a question and how does God answer it? 
right here. Doesn't he tell you? Why should you seek advice from the dead? Shouldn't you seek advice from God and him alone? Shouldn't we let God lead our lives and not the dead? Should we let God lead our lives and not other spirits? Should we let the Holy Spirit lead our lives? So right here, if you want to know the answer to your question, God led you right to it in the very next week in our study. And all we did was just follow through the book of Hebrews. Do you see how amazing that is? Do you think that God had that all orchestrated when he created the heavens and the earth in the beginning of time that he knew the questions that you would ask? So is it okay to ask questions? Is it okay to ask any questions? Are all of our questions answered in the Bible? Absolutely. Isn't that pretty amazing? Are you blown away by this? <laughs> that, that just through following the book of Hebrews, and we get to verse 13, and it takes us back here, and it speaks to exactly what you were asking last week. Do you think that God orchestrated all that? Absolutely he did. He knew exactly. That's the, the omnipotent power. He's everywhere, all-powerful, all-knowing, but he chooses not to control everything as we just learned about, but he has it all worked out. So, so when you have a question, he has an answer for you. And when you go to him for your answer, he will answer it in his way, in his time. But he'll answer it every single time. Was he maybe silent for a week for you where he didn't answer you? Do you think that maybe he was ignoring you or didn't care? No, he cares and he loves you and he'll always answer you. I just thought that was amazing when I got to that. <laughs> <laughs> way cool so continuing on in Isaiah chapter 8 verse 20 look to God's instructions and teachings people who contradict his word are completely in the dark they will go from one place to another weary and hungry and because they are hungry they will rage and curse their king and their God they will look up to heaven and down at the earth but wherever they look, there will be trouble and anguish and dark despair. They will be thrown into the darkness. So what are we to do? Look to God's instructions and teachings, right? So when we're looking for advice or we're looking for guidance, where's the first place we should start? We should go to God, right? Not to anyone else, not to the dead, not to mediums, not to spirits, not to earthly things we should go to God and ask him and then we should go to his instructions and his teachings and where is instructions and teachings the Bible the God's word and that he's going to lead us through that and that there's people out there that are going to contradict God's word but they are completely in the dark not just a little bit they are completely in the dark God says so when they contradict God's word and they muddle you know confuse it or muddle it up or well, God really didn't say this or didn't mean that. Who are they following? Well, that's how Satan started. Started, no, that's not how he started. That's how sin entered into the world, was Satan started off by asking Eve, did God really say, did God really say this? When we look at Jesus' life, when he was tempted in the desert by Satan, how did, what did Satan do? We should do this. And where did Jesus always take him back to? Well, God's word says this. The scriptures say this, and then Satan would tempt him in another way. And then he, the scriptures say this, and then Satan tempted him in a third way, using the scriptures, trying to mis, misquote them or muddle them up or make them confusing. And what did Jesus do? Went into another place in the scriptures that cleared it up, saying, no, this is how we're to live. So when the enemy tries to trip us up or confuse us, where should we go? We should always go back to God's word. I still think that's amazing. The answer to your question right there. So obviously he cares about you. Obviously he loves you. And obviously when we have questions and we were seeking honest answers from God, when we have honest questions, when our questions aren't to muddle or confuse God's word or try and trip other people up, when we have honest questions that we don't understand and we bring them to God, he will answer them every single time. So we'll finish up here, Hebrews chapter 2. Verse 14. Because God's, children's are, God's children are human beings made of flesh and blood, the Son also became flesh and blood. For only as a human being 
could he die, and only by dying could he break the power of the devil, who had the power of death. So now that Jesus died on the cross for us, what did he do? He broke the power of sin and death over us. Death has no power over us, right? When we die as believers, where do we go? We go to heaven. We get to spend eternity with God, with Jesus. And those sinful things that once enslaved us before we lived with God, those things that I can't believe I do this, I don't want to do this anymore, but I seem to be always going back to it. I'm a slave to it. I can't get away from it. This is not who I am. Have we ever felt that? I know that I have. This is not who I am. I can't believe this is how I act. Well, those are all the things that enslaved us, that we were literally chained to. But Jesus' death on the cross broke that, broke that slavery, broke those chains, and that we are no longer held by that. That when we believe in him, we're set free from all those things that we used to do. That old life is gone. A new life has begun. So verse 15, only in this way could he set free all who have lived their lives as slaves to the fear of dying. So many times we'd have a fear of dying before we knew Jesus, right? That was always a fearful thing to be led by, but he's broken that fear. There is no fear of death because there is no death. For us, we have eternal life, right? We live this life here on earth. And the Bible says that when we die here, what happens? We're present with the Lord, right? Absent from this body here on earth, we're present with the Lord is what the Bible says. And I believe that. I believe that when I'm absent from this body, when I take my last breath, my next breath is in the presence of God. And I have comfort in, in all of that. And I think, well, what if I leave my family behind? But again, my God will never abandon them, never forsake them. He'll always be with them. He'll provide for them. See, because I don't really provide for my family now. Everything that we have is from God. He provides everything for us, right? Does that make sense? So if I'm not here on this earth, is he still going to provide? Yes, because he's the one that provides now, not me. Nothing that I do. I just follow him. So continuing on here in verse 16, we also know that the son did not come to help the angels, he came to help the descendants of Abraham. So Jesus didn't come here to this earth for the angels. He came here for us, right? Because he loves us. We get to see that in creation. We've been over that. When he created us, he created everything. He spoke it into existence. Let there be light and there was light. How powerful is his words? But then when he got to humans, he said, let's us make them. So while Jesus created all of the universe himself with his words, when it came to humans... He used all of the Godhead, Father, Son, and Holy Spirit. Let's create them in our image, like us, right? And he did that from the dust. He didn't just speak us into existence. He took matter and shaped us and formed us. And when he made the woman out of the man, he formed and shaped her, right? So he took his time because he loves us. He didn't come to help the angels. He came to help us. We're in desperate need of a Savior, and that Savior is Jesus Christ. So, verse 17, Therefore, it was necessary for him to be made in every respect like us, his brothers and sisters, so that he could be our merciful and faithful high priest before God. Then he could offer a sacrifice that would take away the sins of people. So this is interesting where Jesus is our high priest in the, the book of Hebrews is going to make that clear and go into details on that. But what the high priest would do before Jesus for the nation of Israel was the high priest would go to the temple once a year and he'd sacrifice, send, give the, a sacrifice for their sins, the atonement for their sins. And these weren't deliberate sins that they committed. They were to have their own sacrifice for that. But these were for the sins of the nation that they committed in ignorance. And he would sacrifice for them once a year and he would go into the center of the temple where God's presence was and he would meet with God there and that sacrifice would cover up their sins, right? It was a covering of sins. But Jesus' sacrifice took away our sins, right? So he's the ultimate high priest. While the high priest before Jesus, just a mere man, a sinful man, would have to make a sacrifice for his own sins first before he could go into the presence of God and make a sacrifice for all of the people, Jesus could make a sacrifice of himself that removes our sins for all of the people. So there's a contrast there, and we'll go into that as we get further into the book of Hebrews. 
Since he himself has gone through suffering and testing, he is able to help us when we are being tested. And we've kind of already been through that. When we got to see that, we went through Psalms 22, or Psalm 22. But Jesus can help us through because he's already been there. He's been there where everyone's abandoned him. Everyone's been against him. Everyone has left him and is a fierce mob coming after him, right? Where everyone's turned against him. His life is in peril. His life is in danger. Um, People are slandering him, saying untrue things about him. All of that, everything that we've ever gone through, he's already been through. So when we think we're the only ones going through this, we're not. He's already been through it. He knows what we're going through. We're never alone, right? And he, he himself has gone through these sufferings and testings, so he is able to help us when we are going through them. And so I take great comfort in that. There's nothing I can go through in this life that he hasn't already been through, that he doesn't already know how to navigate me through it. When I choose to trust in him, when I choose even those moments of silence to believe that he is going to lead and guide me through it. So with that, do we have any questions? I answered all your questions? Really? What were your two questions? What are, you, what are your questions? What were your questions? <laughs> Yeah. I didn't answer it. God answered it. And who wrote the Bible? It's God's word. Well, men, yes, men may have pinned it, but where did they get the, the thoughts and the ideas to write down? Yes. So while men may have actually physically penned it, wrote it, all of the, the thoughts, all the inspiration came from God. And how do we know that? Does that just sound good? Because the Bible tells us that. God makes it clear. That anything that was prophetic that we read, that didn't come from the author's own understanding, from human perspective. That came through the Holy Spirit. The Holy Spirit led and guided all those prophecies. So the prophecy that Jesus, hundreds of years before he was ever born, his hands and his feet would be pierced, and his clothes would be divided, and the garments would be divided up and cast lots for, or thrown dice for by the, the soldiers. All that gets written down hundreds of years before he's ever born, well-documented in historical writings, right? Not just in biblical writings, but in historical writings. And then it actually happens hundreds of years later. How did that happen? Because the Holy Spirit led and guided those people to write that down. So, any other questions? No? That was it? Not even one? Okay, I'm just asking. It's so hard. It's just meant to get you to think through the study. That's all. (laughs) She talks more. Do you have any questions or comments? No. None? Answer them all. (laughs) All right. Let's pray. Dear Father, I thank you for this day. I thank you for this time to learn more about who you are. I'm thankful for the ways that you lead, you guide, the ways that you speak to us, the ways that you answer our questions, the ways that you never leave us, you never abandon us, you're always with us, and that you know what we're going through. Not just actually what we're going through, but you know how it feels to go through what we're going through because you've been through it yourself. And that when we choose to trust in you, when we choose to continue to follow you, when we could choose to press into a relationship with you, when we get to choose to spend time in your word that you lead us and guide us through all of these situations in life. You never leave us, you never abandon us, but you do allow us to make that choice, to follow you or to follow our own sinful desires or to to follow our own, I'm going to get myself out of this. And I'm very thankful for the way you've set everything up, that you're allowing us to strengthen our faith, to encourage us, to draw us closer to you. And I just ask that you do that this week. You would strengthen each one of our faiths, 
you would encourage each one of us, that you would draw each one of us closer to you in a, in a deeper, more abiding relationship, a more remaining relationship, a relationship that we want to remain in all throughout the week. Strengthen and encourage us in that way, in a way that only you can. Grant each of us wisdom and patience, knowledge and understanding of your word, of who you are, of the situations in our lives, of whatever it is that we're needing guidance in, that you would provide it for us because you are the sustainer of our life. You are our everything. Everything we have comes from you. It's in Jesus' mighty, mighty name we pray all these things. Amen. 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 Amen.